When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. It's episode 100, Jeff. We did it. We, we made it. it. We made it. It's a freaking bye week, but we it's, made it. It's a bye week. <laughs> it doesn't get any more football and random things than us uh, not even having an actual game. Huge to talk milestone. About. Huge milestone. We made it to 100. Again, we're, the fact that you, whomever, is listening to this right now, thank you. It's incredible. Uh, that you have paid or you, you've stayed around for right. this long. Uh, and the second thing is that people still keep having us on. They allow us to record this also equally incredible that it's recorded and received. So cheers to everybody. I mean, if you've got a cup of coffee, glass of water, other beverage, well, cheers to you. We're at episode 100. If uh, if you're one of the people out there who thinks they've listened to all, all 100 episodes of football and random things, then tweet at us and say, I've farted 100 times. 100 farts. Hashtag yeah. 100 farts. Hashtag 100 farts. Yeah, you can send that to us here this week uh, once the podcast comes out. Uh, there was some interesting stuff that had uh, a few interesting things that happened in college football this weekend. Uh, I think it was only one of the craziest college football days in like the last 50 years uh alabama loses oklahoma was down 21 points to texas and came back in one uh backup quarterback with a backup quarterback uh iowa beat penn state is now the number two team in the country uh it was just a wild day jeff and i was driving the whole time and you were driving i was in a truck so aaron drove some Mm-hmm. and I drove most of it. But in the time when she was driving, it was the first half and some change of the Red River. And I was just on YouTube TV, sitting in the back with the dogs, because uh, one of our dogs, we, we drove up to take a little hiking trip. And one of our dogs gets antsy after like four hours in the truck. He just starts running around. So if you sit back there with him, he's calmer. So I would imagine it's like dealing with a child. But I was sitting in the back with the dogs, just watching the Red River, driving through the middle of Wisconsin. And uh, we get to a hiking spot just cause we're going to stop halfway down, take a, uh, like devil's Lake, Wisconsin and hike there. And when you get close to there, you lose service. So it was about, it was halftime. Yeah. And a couple plays after halftime and, uh, we go hiking. It's about hour and 25 minutes, get back in the truck, start driving home. And I'm driving this time. So I just find the game on Sirius XM and, uh, come back and they're like, and it's 48, 48. And we're like, what, <laughs> what the hell just happened? We were gone for an hour and 25 minutes. And you go from this absolute drubbing with Spencer Rattler getting benched to the game being tied. And then we just listened to it the rest of the way. And like that, just that shock was quite, that, that was a lot between going hiking and coming back. The best way to, I think, or the best play that symbolized that entire game is the fact that Oklahoma was trying to run out the clock to kick a game-winning field goal, and and Kennedy Brooks ran at 30 yards for a touchdown. And just accidentally scored. Yeah. Like, that was one of those things where you sit there, and it's like, I mean, of course that this is how this game is going to end. How else would it end? (laughs) And uh, it just was... 
it was wild literally from the first snap of the game to the last one. Like Texas yeah, we scored were... on the opening snap and Oklahoma scored on the last snap. We, you and I were texting <laughs> Oklahoma, the first six plays of the game, first six snaps of the game, not including kickoff or kick returns. The first six snaps of the game, Oklahoma royally screwed up every single one of them and was down 14 to zero in six snaps. Yeah. Uh, well they had the, a lot of the touchdown then, I mean, they then just they got went the ball. three, like royally epically went three and out. They went, uh, it was, uh, First play was a two-yard loss. Yeah. Second play was a zero-yard run. Third play was a sack. Fourth play was a blocked punt. Fifth play was a touchdown. Yeah. Well, no, uh, then no the fifth play was the quarterback oh, was threw a, wide, it, sorry. a mile over the wide-open receiver. Wide-open wide, wide open, yeah. uh, tight end in the end zone. Blown coverage that the court, the Texas just missed, and then they scored a touchdown in the next play. So my bad. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. A couple of takeaways. I think that there are from this game though. Uh, number one, what happens with Spencer Rattler now? Oofta. Um, okay. So I will say here, th- this dives into a slightly deeper conversation, which is what happens to Spencer Rattler. Also, you kind of then have to look at what happened past tense in the Texas Oklahoma game. So when you have a quarterback like Spencer Rattler, which very likely to the opposing team is like trying to say, all right, I, I would imagine they're going to keep Brees Hall in for most of the game. You know what? I, I don't think they're going to probably bench Brees Hall. So we're going to prepare for this starting player. Uh, a quarterback though is different because the quarterbacks that you build the offense around the quarterback, they facilitate everything good, bad, or indifferent. They facilitate everything. And so your defense is built on the tendencies of the coordinator and of the quarterback. Well, they probably didn't have a huge contingency backup for anyone, not Spencer Rattler. So Caleb Williams is a kid's name, right? Caleb Williams. Yes. So Caleb Williams, they probably didn't have a Caleb Williams playbook that the defense was running around because they didn't expect Rattler to necessarily be benched. Now, Last year in this game, that happened because of turnovers, because of bad decisions, because of whatever, but he ended up coming back in. And what that says is we really want this guy in the game, but we needed to give him a cool off time, just a little bit of something to think about. Well, when you put that player in, you don't have any game plan built up for a backup quarterback because you don't know his tendencies because he's a puppy. He's a true freshman. You have no idea what he likes to do. You have no idea who he likes to throw to. You have no idea what he likes to see in run in the running game in the fronts or whatever. You don't know what is comfortable with him. So the first game, think Brock Purdy with his very first game, they don't know who he is and what he likes and what he's doing. So we can just go off on your first game. If you have the right kind of cocktail of situations that are happening. Well, the next few games, now there is game film on Caleb Williams. And you better believe that the, every opponent from this point forward, especially for the next two or three games, they're going to prepare 50, 50, because they're going to prepare half of their defense and just inform their guys. Hey, if, Rattler's in there. He likes to do X, Y, and Z. He's going to do a B and C in the pocket. He's going to, he looks at this safety, whatever. Then they're going to say, if Williams is in the game, then we're going to run this defense because X, Y, and Z. And so there's a limited amount of film right now on Williams. So maybe in the next game, he can kind of get away with doing a little bit more uh, or with doing a little bit of what he did the first week, because there is no film on him. But as it continues to go more and more in game games and games and games, the kid's super talented. 
but defenses are going to get an eye on what you actually like. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't expect to see this huge, you know, this insane production level continue. And I would actually bet there's going to be this little, maybe this next week. Cause they, well, they play uh, TCU. So they're going to have this next week. They might, he might still do pretty well, but then the week after that, whoever that opponent is, unless, unless it's Kansas is probably going to have some difficulty. He will probably have some difficulty because there's going to be a full game and a half of film on him. So that brings me back to the very first question. What happens to Spencer Rattler? Ride it out. Cause once you get it, once Caleb Pete film is out on Caleb Williams, that's when you know who he really is because it's not complete random thing that just shows up. It is unfortunate for Spencer Rattler. When you think about the expectations that he came into this year with, you know, at the time, probably presumed number one pick in the NFL draft, uh, one of the Heisman front runners like that had all kind of fallen away already. I think uh, at least a little bit, you know, he was still highly regarded as a draft prospect, but I think he had kind of fallen out of that number one conversation. Uh, man, like that's, that sucks, you know, especially in a game that big, a high profile game where there's a lot of people watching on TV, like you kind of got to feel for that kid a little bit. You do. Uh, but this is also kind of the definition of a sophomore slump. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, he's, this is his second season. We talk about game film teams now have a full year to go back and spend five months on a full season of yours to go. All right. What's this kid like? What does this kid want? What does he feel comfortable with? I mean, think about what Iowa state does with John Haycock from, from the first half of any game to the second half of any game. Now give that same coaching staff plus Dave Aranda plus you know, fill in the blank with whatever defensive coach is going to be in the conference and go, let's spend five months seeing what you don't like to do. And we're going to make you do that mm -hmm. a lot. And so that's what happens with the freshman year to the sophomore year. It's the same thing. that's going to happen with Caleb Williams going forward. If he is in fact starter is you get a lot of year, you get time to go. All right, I'm going to make this kid uncomfortable. Okay. Now, what are you going to do about it to, I think uh, Spencer Rattler is not known good or bad. He's not known for his leadership and character. It might, it doesn't mean he's necessarily a bad kid, but that's not, you look at Tim Tebow or Sam Ellinger or, or uh, like Tyrod Taylor, like guys like that. They're like, that dude is pure character. I understand everything that, that he, that he's about. I know what he's there for. I know who he's there for. And then you look at Spencer Rattler and you don't put him in that same conversation. So if a guy has that leadership and that, that absolutely, uh, I'm, everybody is going to follow me. Even someone, somebody like Derek King at Miami, everybody looks and goes, I'm going to, that guy is the leader of this team. So even if he's not playing poorly, we need him because he is the leader of this team. Rattler doesn't have that. So he's got a shorter leash now. So do I feel bad for him a little bit, but at the same time, you control your destiny and you control how you act and you control how you do everything. That's not on anybody else, bro. That is on you. And if you want to take a hard look in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? How am I getting, how did I get to this position and what can I do to change? Maybe you do that. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> flipping over to the other side. Uh, how good is the guy who wears number five for the Texas Longhorns? Whew. He is John uh, Robinson can play my man. He is a dog. Yep. This is a, this, I think last year's quarterback class, I mean, last year's NFL draft quarterback class with, with all the guys that were in that is this year's running back class. And I don't think that Bijan can actually go to, can he go to the league yet? 
He's been in Texas for two years. Um, I'm not sure. Because he was true freshman last year, redshirt freshman this year. I don't remember what the rules are. Either way, you have well, it, it taken. Well, he has to have three years out of high school. Okay, so we can't do it this year. But uh, I mean, the the depth at running back across the country is nuts. Leading with five for Texas, twenty eight for Iowa State, fifteen for Iowa, and twenty eight for A and M. I mean those. And then, uh, yeah, pure just studs. And it's fun to watch number five because he can do all of it. I mean, there's make somebody miss, run somebody over. There was a, a play. There was a play. I don't think he ended up scoring. He got pushed out of bounds at like the one yard line. But where he started on the, you know, the the far side of the field, like on the TV copy, and cut all the way back through, and he was breaking tackles the entire time. That was like some Madden stuff. That's some David Montgomery stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's what that, that's what it feels like. He, he reminds me a lot of Dave Montgomery pretty closely, just incredibly hard to get off balance that yeah, him and Brees play completely different games. So the spiller kid at A&M plays a completely different game. Goodson plays a completely different game, but they're all really, really good. Yeah. That was uh, incredibly impressive. Um, but still on the Texas side, how demoralizing is a loss like this, man, this is, and, and you don't, there's no rest for the weary. No, you, get a, you lose to Oklahoma in that way in the red river and you got to turn around and play Oklahoma state who is, right. again, we've talked about, this is not the Brandon Weed in Oklahoma state. This is the, this is very, the Oklahoma state plays very similar to Iowa state now, which is really strong defense, super physical. They're a little more aggressive blitzing wise than Iowa state is, but they're a defensive team. So you have this no rest for three you just got beat in an absolute heartbreaker of a game now get back to practice you got to play one of the, the other best teams in the conference so the, it's hard and it's gonna it's gonna be a big a big i don't want to say turning point in in that if it goes poorly they will not recover from it or if it goes well they will recover from it but the big a huge potential in this game to have a a culture claiming win or a screw this loss so if they lose two in a row, you put yourself way behind the eight ball because Oklahoma state would theoretically be undefeated. Baylor would have probably one loss all the way through Iowa state will probably have one loss. You now have your behind the eight ball already. And your expectations when you got rid of Herman was to, you know, win, be the team. Texas has shown a propensity with this group of individuals to go, this is stupid and mm -hmm. stop playing hard. So this is a big, the, the Texas Oklahoma state game. If it goes really poorly, Texas might be in some deep trouble for the next rest of the season. If it goes really well, you know, then you got some character, you got some leadership on that team that can buck up after a hard loss. So it's a really interesting place that Texas is in right now. And I, I am interested to see what happens and from a, a perspective of this is on Cyclone Fanatic, this is not a neutral uh, fan thing. I hope Texas loses every game for the rest of the year. That is my personal hope. You want to be a prima donna. You want to be a diva. Fire your coach. Leave for the SEC. You think that you are better than you are. I am overjoyed that they got, they blew that lead. I hope that they lose to Oklahoma State, and I hope they lose every game for the rest of the season because they far too high in their own britches. And this is what you get. I uh, hope that they lose them all in like heartbreaking fashion like this as well. That would just make it twice as good. Uh, all right. Really quick before we take a break, 
uh, thoughts on Iowa's win over Penn State? Again, haven't gotten to watch it. I uh, was driving the whole time. Listen to <laughs> the way I describe it is I, I got to listen to Gary Dolphin and I had to listen to Ed Podolak uh, in the radio. And the way the game went was it, it felt, and you, you watched it. So correct me if I'm wrong. It felt like it was the big tenniest big Ten game of all time, where it was essentially running play action pass, super solid defense and a great punting matchup, that kind of vibe. Yeah. And then at the end it was which average at best quarterback can be the one to make a play. Well, as much as it pains me to say, Petrus is the right quarterback for their system at this point, because like the, the touchdown pass to Reganey, I watched the highlights of it. So the touchdown pass to Reganey, that was both a great throw and an awful throw at the exact same time, because he was so wide open because of the play design that he was just saying, get it to him. Don't underthrow or don't throw an interception. Don't overthrow this. Just get it to him so he can catch it. And then Nico Reganey did the rest. And so it's great in that he understood just get it to the playmaker and let the playmaker do the thing and don't put it in harm's way. It was horrible. in the fact that he almost threw Reganey into getting tackled by the corner and pulled him backwards and slowed him down enough. The safety almost got in on it. So the throw is really bad, but it ended up being the right thing. So I think that play encapsulates a lot of what Spencer Petras does for this team, which is you're going to make the decision that makes it a safe play. And safe is almost always going to be effective when you have a defense that is as good at turning the ball over as Iowa's defense is. Would I say they're the best defense in the country? No, that's Georgia. But would I say they're the best at forcing turnovers? Yeah, I don't think there's any argument at this point. They've they've been through, what, six games now, and their turnover margin, they were plus two on the day. Their turnover margin's plus 14 in six games which is absolutely insane. And after half a season, you can stop chalking that up to luck and you can start chalking that up to the fact that they're just really good at forcing turnovers. And so if you're a team that has a defense that forces turnovers at the rate that they do, you're going to start a quarter to a third of your possessions off a turnover. Just don't screw it up because that stops the other team's drive. And that gives you the chance to actually begin your drive at a good advantageous position. So as frustrating as it is to watch, I play with this weird pedestrian offense. It's the right play for them to play complimentary football because the strength of this team is the defense and getting the ball to be turned over. So yeah, is it frustrating? Absolutely. Do you want, I, I mean, if Iowa state would have won the two games that they would have, that you beat Iowa and you beat Baylor and you're undefeated, you started number seven because of the people, the, the way things lost, you'd be in this position, which I, we all understand that that's frustrating, but to bring it back to Iowa state, the rest of the season, starting with Kansas state can put you back in a position like Iowa is right now. You're probably not going to be the number two team in the country, but you can absolutely work yourself back into the top 10 because your losses are now at home against the number two team. And then on the road against a Baylor team, that's that only has one loss. So there still things are on the table and it all starts on Saturday with Kansas state. Uh, at this point, I just want to know what kind of devil magic ritual they did to get all these turnovers. And then I want John Haycock to do it. Well, I think they just play the way that they play defensive line, I think influences the rest of it, which is they play a two gap style defense, which they're really not trying to, they're trying to get to the quarterback, but they're only trying to get to the quarterback 
in the way that they can stay in passing lanes, because a lot of this is just getting their hands up and quarterbacks then have to think about getting it above the hands of the defensive line. And they're all like seven foot tall. So you have the way that they play defense, playing two gap and rushing with responsible lanes. And then they generally are going to have at least two players that are in a zone of some kind. They don't, they very rarely ever play cover one or straight or cover zero, which cover zero is a, a super risk, but usually they're at least in cover two. And so you have at least two sets of eyeballs watching the quarterback. You have a defensive line that's got their hands straight up in the air that the quarterback has to throw over or through. And that's going to lead to a lot of tip balls. It's going to lead to a lot of risky decisions. And they also, you know, in a game like this, they're, they're, they're playing against a backup quarterback. And so you can really, you throw that defense against a backup quarterback or that style of defense with uh, good two gap technique with on the defensive line, plus getting your hands up in the air, plus guys looking at the ball, you're going to end up with, you know, at least a, a reasonable level of good defense. So yeah, it, it, again, it is frustrating, but and, and the way that I describe it is the logical person in me says you, uh, the better Iowa does, the better it is for Iowa state. Because at this point you had a, a, a home loss that didn't look great, but if your home loss that didn't look great was in the early part of the season and to one of the top two teams in the country, it worked. It looks better on your resume. I mean, shoot, Iowa state didn't play and picked up 18 votes in the top 25. All right. Well, that's probably due to the fact that I was really good. And it's, is now a respected team. If Iowa loses and they're ranked 17th, then that home loss looks less good. And then you're out the road on the road against Baylor. So you need Baylor to be good for the rest of the season, those two things. So if Iowa does poorly, it works. It looks bad. If Iowa does well, it looks good. So the logical portion in me says I, Iowa needs to do well. The emotional portion of me says, man, I want that to be us. And it's kind of this, it's an angry jealousy that it should have been Iowa state, not Iowa. So it's hard for me to root, but it's logical for me to want to. So that's, that's where I'm sitting. And I think a lot of Iowa state fans are probably in the same bucket. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back talk about Kansas state here on football and random things on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things on the Cyclone Flag Podcast Network. I was going on the road this weekend to take on Kansas State, six thirty kick on ESPN two. Uh, Bill Snyder's house of horrors under the lights. Jeff uh, have not won there since two thousand four. Correct. That is a long time. That is a long time. I was luckily it's not Halloween because I feel like something even worse would happen if it was on Halloween. I was in junior high the last time Iowa State won in Manhattan. I was in the fifth grade. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a very so, long time. Uh, and looking at this K state team, I mean, last year we saw what happened with Iowa state, Kansas state, but Kansas state was also dealing with a ton of COVID stuff. Like I, they almost didn't even make enough. They almost didn't have enough people to make the roster to come to Ames last year. Right. So it's hard to take last year and say, that's what happened. So this will happen. It's hard to draw a straight line from that game to this game. But at the same time, Kansas State this year, excluding last year, is an absolute just a specter of a team. They are really good in certain areas. I think they're in the top 20 in rush defense allowed. They're in like the bottom 10 in pass defense allowed. It's really rare for a team to be super good at one thing and super bad at the other thing. And that might be because of games, how it's played, but it also it might just be because they are an inconsistent team. So th they're really hard to get a beat on 
because they're certain. Yeah. Like, like I said, they're super good in some places and not good in other places. Well, it's like I told you off the air, it would be really hard to practice your past defense when you don't have a quarterback who can throw the football. And, uh, until Skylar Thompson came back from injury, they didn't really have that. Um, you know, he came back for that game against Oklahoma. Like there are some things in life that are just, I, I know will never be different. And one of them is Oklahoma being bad against Kansas state. Like that's just one of those <laughs> things that will always, it doesn't matter what, how the world turns that one thing will always stay the same. Yeah. And they're going to, cause what last year, didn't they last year, they lose in Norman to Kansas state. Yeah, they lost in Norman and then came to Ames and lost to Ames and started 0-2. Yeah. And didn't lose again. Um, this, I think to, to, to break down Kansas State, it kind of starts offensively with the Bill Snyder lineage of offensive gameplay style, mm-hmm. which is quarterback running game. With Thompson, they actually can throw at least a little bit, but most of the game is finding a way to get Deuce on the ball, finding a way to get the quarterback in RPO situations where you're putting a linebacker or a safety in some mental distress on, do I come up and play the quarterback or do I stay back and cover fill in the blank tight end wide receiver, whatever. So that's kind of what they, that, that whole offense is predicated on those two things. And so if you have a good player at running back, like they do with Deuce Vaughn and you have a quarterback that makes good decisions. Doesn't he can be a terrible athlete, but if he makes good decisions inside in those situations, then that's the way the offense tends to click. So what do you do against that is you don't let them run the ball, but you, you have sound fundamental defense that does not let them run the ball without having to to commit extra players to it. So if you have to, let's say, so Iowa state, you know, they play at three, three, five. I mean, usually it's, it functions it sort of like three, four where Aishim young or somebody is going to be down towards the box and they're going to be playing as that other, the other outside linebacker to Mike Rose. So if you're going to play against this team and you can get away with just having those six of defensive line linebackers and a half with that other safety, you can play run defense with those six and a half guys. Then the decisions, the stress that's being put on the rest of the defense is a lot smaller because there's always, there's always more people around. Even if the tight end is running a slant and you're trying to make Mike Rose decide between tackling the quarterback and playing back on the tight end. If there, if you can not have to commit extra people who maybe Kamani King is going to be right behind where that tight end is going to. So Mike Rose knows he's free to go up and play the quarterback. And all of a sudden the tight ends covered because Kamani King came down to this tight end and the quarterback is now under pressure because he doesn't have an outlet to go to. And you're one-on-one with Mike Rose in space. Then you can make that play for a three yard loss. All of a sudden you're, you know, Kansas state's now second and 13 and they are not equipped to occupy or operate behind the chains. So by being able to play run defense without adding extra bodies allows the RPO game to be a lot less effective because you can still have people back there. So that's kind of the key for Iowa state is really boring. Fundamental defense is if you can play fundamental defense against Kansas state, then their offense has a hard time moving because they're built on doing those types of things. So yeah. Are you going to do that? I would imagine so, but it's also Kansas state. And I don't know how good they are because they are again, this specter enigma of a team that is sometimes good and sometimes not. Uh, what kind of changes do you maybe expect to see from the Iowa state offense from the last time we saw them? 
from the, the Iowa State offense from the last time we saw the Iowa State offense? Mm-hmm. Probably not a bunch. If they could play, if they could play how they did against Kansas. Now, again, Kansas is really bad. We all know that. We spent a, a full hour talking about how bad Kansas is last week. Uh, go listen to episode 99 if you want to catch back on what we talked about with Kansas. But the if you can if you can play that well, I mean Kansas being terrible aside, they were on rhythm. They established the run game. At one point, they were 10.5, 10 and a half yards a carry. So if you can establish the running game in that way and play the way they did, there's not really a whole lot of teams, again, Kansas aside, there's not a lot of teams that can actually comfortably stop Iowa state without committing a lot of extra bodies to that. Because if Brees Hall is running like Brees Hall is running, when you get in a heavy formation, then it is damn near impossible to, to stop the run and also stop the pass in those sets. So for example, the touchdown that we talked about it before last week, and I did a, uh, for my to the TV show, I did, did an actual whiteboard breakdown on the Joe skates touchdown. Iowa state in that situation had a tight end. I don't remember who it was chaser or Charlie. They had a tight end and Jared Russ in the field. They had Brees Hall and a pistol back and that they had motioned the tight end in all of those things are saying we want to run the ball. That is a, 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 they're indicating all the things from a tendency standpoint, we want to run the ball and we're going to follow 43, wherever 43 goes, that's where we're going to end up running the ball too. So they're in this run set. They've only got two wide receivers, Hutchinson and skates. They've got a, a heavy box. And because of the effectiveness that had happened early in the game or early in, you know, in against Baylor and just last year watching film, when they got into that set, that heavy set, they said, uh Oh, they're going to run the ball and we can't stop them unless we bring our safeties down. So they brought their safeties down to about eight yards. Iowa state ran a play action and ran the receivers right by them. Now, again, Kansas is any other team would likely have been able to carry the players and it's a much more contested catch. But at the same time, the thought of just having to bring both safeties down because you see a run box with a heavy player means that you're going to get good options in the rest of your passing game. So if Iowa State can continue doing that effectiveness against they're just effective running the ball teams, even teams that are not Kansas are going to have to commit extra bodies, which means skates and Hutchinson and Charlie and chase and whatever are going to have a lot more opportunities because of how many eyeballs 28 commands, if they continue doing what they're doing. So what changes do you think, do I think the Iowa state offense is going to make none? I think they're going to operate as usual to say, we're going to run the ball, establish 28, and we're going to get everybody else going off of 28. All right. Any final thoughts before we, uh, before we take off? this one, uh, I, the significance of this got a lot bigger, I think, because of what happened at red river, because so Oklahoma winning and coming back from nowhere and Texas losing makes it. So the conference is as up in the air as we thought it was going to be because if Texas wins that game, I still don't think, and we saw it on Saturday. That's why they lost. I don't think Texas is a full team yet. I don't think that their defense is as equipped or their offense is as consistent as what they need to be to be the team to beat in the conference. So Oklahoma winning and looking really vulnerable, Texas blowing that lead and looking inconsistent means that there isn't, again, there's not a true favorite, which is really good for Iowa state because you now have a chance. There's one loss, everybody in the conference, 
outside of Oklahoma and Oklahoma state who will have to play each other. And Iowa state will have to play both. We, everybody has one loss at least. So you've now got the chance to do what you did last year and go, okay, didn't start how we wanted to, but let's improve as the season goes along and you've got your chance to do it. So Oklahoma beating Texas was, uh, and just the way that it happened is good to me to confirm the chaos. So if you're Iowa state, you look at this game and this is not a linchpin key game where it, you know, if it doesn't go the way you want to, the whole thing falls apart, but this is a huge opportunity game where if you get a win against Kansas state in Manhattan, and especially if you can do it the way that you want to running the ball, playing solid fundamental defense, and you know, more or less saying, this is how we're going to play. And you have to be better than us. If you can do that, you put yourself back mentally in the conversation with Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Baylor, Texas, you can start putting yourself back in that conversation to say, look at us. We are the favorite. And then you have all your opportunities for the rest of the year. So this is a big one to make sure that the, the direction of the season goes the way you think the direction of the season should go. So big opportunity on Saturday. And I feel like Iowa state will be up to the task because of the way their defense is executing now feels like it's clicked back together and it matches up well against Kansas state if they run what they need to do. So I think that it's going to happen. And I feel confident saying that Iowa state is going to play well on Saturday. Uh, so I don't know, big opportunity game, especially with what happened in the rest of the conference. So I don't know uh, too bad. We have to wait till seven o'clock to see it, but primetime game, man. Yeah, it'll be, I think it's especially big because it just gets you right back into the mix, makes a little bit of a statement before you play. I mean, you play those other three quote unquote contenders in the league, uh, all three of them in a five week span, including starting with Oklahoma state next week and Oklahoma state plays Texas this week, which, yeah, you know, you and I talked about that on Saturday, but, uh, we're, we wouldn't be surprised to see Oklahoma state win that game at that time. We thought Texas was going to win, uh, so like now maybe Texas will win that game and give Oklahoma state one loss. So it's like, you never know what will happen, but you know, like all of these teams are going to have to play each other here in a stretch. Like that's not going to take very long here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So it's big opportunity. Like I said, big opportunity game for Iowa state. I'm excited for it though. All right. Thanks everybody. Who's listened to 100 episodes of football and random things. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll be back for episode 101 next Hashtag week. 100 farts. Hashtag 100 farts. 100 farts. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.